All I know is that as a young boy who liked action movies, RoboCop. Just uh, go like that. All right. <clears throat> okay. Everybody got uh, got your handout. Got everything you need. You all set up and ready to go. Take that as. Okay. We got a couple announcements really quick, and then um, we're gonna just keep on moving right along because we're. Down to about 45 minutes, we're out of here. Got the message, announcements message, and then if we have time, I would like to verse, uh, practice because we're leaving. The engine built. I don't think I've even mentioned it. But Nate's memorizing it. So, um, he needs to say him before he leaves so that we get the points. That's true. Yeah. Yes. I like this. That's part of the trade. It's like, yeah, okay. Quick, hey, did you know that tonight the North Kansas City Bible Study meets for the first time? <laughs> there you are. Naomi goes, she left. So Naomi and Kennedy are going to be uh, launching the Bible Study, which is really cool. Anything specifically you'd like us to pray about regarding that? Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Anything else? Yeah, people to come and then come back. Good. Uh, the other Bible studies, there's not much to say. At least I'm at Thursday, 6.30, every Thursday. Be there, be square. Raytown, every other Thursday. Some Thursdays are fun days. Others are study days, 7 p.m. Seth Miles' house. Did I get it? He wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Johnson County Bible Study every Mother Monday. Next Monday. At what time? 6.30. Okay, 6.30 at your house. So there's a Bible study in Kansas. There's a Bible study in Lee Summit. Bible study in Raytown. And there's another Bible study in Kansas predominantly female that's tonight every sunday right at what time 6 30 sunday tonight 6 30 there you go it's all are all are welcome boys and girls because we're just chilling yeah your labor day thing you said yeah and then the North Kansas City Bible Study. So if you are up north or you're not in Raytown, Lee Summit, or Kansas, and you're in Kansas City, that's, a, that's the place to be tonight. You can get information from them. Any questions? Okay, let's keep going. This one's a big one. He's a big one. Got to pull my pants up. <clears throat> On October 21st, at some point in the evening... <laughs> We are going to start our fall retreat. It's official. Bro, you have facial hair. Bro, when did you get that? Dude, I've been having that for a long time. Look at this man. Stand up. Bro, what? You have, he has a full chin thing. 
<laughs> Andy's got like all this stubble. I've had that for a while, man. Oh, yeah, you said that. Wow. Yeah, so here's what the plan is. On Thursday, the Thursday, October the 21st, okay, <clears throat> we're going to have our first session. So you'll show up on Thursday after school sometime. You'll roll up. That first session will likely be here, okay, likely be here. Maybe somewhere else. We'll let you know. Details to come. And then after that session, there's going to be a game. We'll probably play some games. It'll be fun. We'll get you all introduced to the camp and everything at the retreat and, like, what to expect, all the information. There will be preaching. There will be a response. There will be worship. Hopefully the worship is going to be off the chain. I've got an idea. I'm not telling you. It's a surprise. And then, uh, and then you go home. And you go to school on Friday because you're a good student. And then on Friday after school, as basically as soon as you can, then you'll meet at the camp retreat location, which I thought I had an idea, and it is a no-go. So don't you worry. It's going to be awesome. I'm thinking, right now I'm thinking three trails. I don't know. <clears throat> so Friday you roll up to the retreat, and then we have um, a regular kind of retreat schedule from there. But we're going to have three evening preaching sessions. So that's pretty cool. I think we have our, our retreat speaker locked in. He told me this morning, he said, i got to call my mom and dad. And if they're cool with it, I'm in. Hmm. So that's like a hint. So, a hint, just to confuse you. Kylie knows. Uh, like that's good, ain't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah? And his wife said, yeah, got to... Gotta okay. ask okay. his parents. So, anyways, you'll be probably a little surprised based on that comment. But it's gonna be awesome. If he can be our speaker, fantastic. Okay. Any questions about that? Please don't raise your hand for questions because I don't have any answers. <laughs> Do you really have a question? Oh, okay, good. Good. Okay, let's get going. You ready? Feels like a strange new page of ministry today. A little uncomfortable. It's good. Um, so let's review. All right. So today we're talking about grieving and repenting. And uh, what we've talked about in a couple of weeks is biblical behavior. And biblical behavior uh, matters. And that's um, maybe like obvious to you. Maybe you have grown up thinking what I do matters and it counts for something. Or maybe you've grown up uh, understanding that it doesn't matter what you do. Nothing matters. Like my actions don't have consequences or count for anything, especially if I'm saved because my sin is already paid for, so I can do whatever I want now, right? I got my ticket to heaven, and now I can just go live in the world, right? Maybe you've had some um, notch in that spectrum that identifies how you live and how you think, but here's the verse I think that we just, we hone in on based on, uh, uh, that sums up the last few verses that we've gone over. It's Romans 6, verse 15 to 18. It says this, What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Here it is. But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin. So you used to live your life for yourself. 
But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. So at salvation, which we'll talk more about, but at salvation, you no longer are tethered to living for yourself, sinning, doing whatever you want. Now you've been made free from sin, and now you are literally wired and designed, built and made to be a servant of righteousness. Your life, your thought life, your action life, your heart life should all be servant, service to righteousness, to God. Everything you do should be for God. That's a tall order, right? That's big. That means my whole life. That means every part of it. I think so. Because you are made to be a servant of righteousness, the Son of God. So I got, as we transition here, a quick survey on there for you. This may be simple, but check with me. Is God the Father God? Just answer the question, Charlie Otto. I'm asking the questions, not you. Is God the Father God? Yes. Is Jesus Christ God? Yes. The Bible says He is. Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. Yes. Yes, He is. Right? Okay, so that's important. Why? Because Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Does this mean, is he saying, that we shouldn't grieve God? The Bible says don't grieve God. It says that to the church. It says that to believers. Therefore, can we deduce that you and I can grieve God? I think so, right? You and I can grieve God. Okay, well, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean to grieve? So you've got that space to write down the definition. And here is the definitions. This is the other ways that this word is translated or used in the Bible. It's to be sorrowful or to make sorry, to sorrow, to cause grief, to be in heaviness. We can do those things to God. And the Bible says not to. That make sense? You can make God to be in heaviness. You can make God to be sorrowful. You can make Him sorry. You can give Him sorrow. What you do matters. You with me? What I do matters. What I think, what I say, matters. So I want to take a, a journey, and you can hold this up for him for a sec, Manny. I want to take a journey just through Scripture briefly. Um, this word grief or grieve, grieving or grieve or grievous. And I looked up all the, the uses of grieve and the variations thereof. And it's a great study. If, if, you, you know, if you are looking for something to study, and if you type G-R-I-E-V, and then you put the little asterisk, It'll take you through it's a lot of verses. That's a good study to walk through. I recommend it. But let's take the, the synopsis of it. So 
Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. Check this out. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Doesn't that sound familiar to today? If you don't know this, the world is crazy. The world is a vampire. Yep, right? Three of us knew that. <clears throat> the world is, is wild and it's messed up. It's whack, okay? Because we humans are wild and whack, naturally. And here it is. And it repented the Lord. It made him think, oh, why, why did I do that? It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. God's heart was grieved by what? What was God's heart grieved by? How did man grieve God? Sin. Right? Sin. Wickedness. Disobedience. Now check this. I think it's important that we realize this about God in this instance. So God is grieved. His heart is made heavy by the sin of man. Consider this. God is so humble. So why do you say that? God is so humble because He allows sin to be grievous to Him. Which means, think, so humble that He allows our actions and our thoughts and the things that we say to affect Him. God is not so stoic and unmoved by the happenings of man on earth, right? He doesn't just think, I created them, I gave them a purpose, and if they disobey me, well, whatever, okay? I guess they're just going to do whatever they're going to do. No. Our lives affect God. He condescends Himself to be moved by us. Does that make sense? Not only to be grieved by us, but on the other side of that coin to answer our prayer, to be moved by us when we request things. There's lots of verses about, man, you and I need to call on the Lord. We need to ask according to His will. We need to pour out our heart, and He'll hear that. Does that make sense? God is so humble. You and I don't deserve to catch God's ear or to move God's heart. We're nothing. We're like ants. I've never been moved by an ant. Like, I used to hunt squirrels a lot, and... This is a bad story to tell, but I have to because I already committed in my mind. Okay, so I used to have a, quite a bit of several acres, and we would go down. There's a pond right here. His house is here. You go down the hill, there's a pond, and then there's another pond down here. And if you walk in between the ponds and you go straight back, it kind of runs back into the neighbor's property. That's a good little area. And I would take my 22, and I'd go down there in the stick, and I would just wait for the squirrels and they would jump and they'd be in the trees and the way I would hunt squirrels is I'd be sitting down at the base of a tree right and there would be other squirrels running in the other trees and as long as I wasn't aiming towards other houses I would and I would I would sell them like I made money off of it and as a 12 year old boy I felt like this is cool you know well, <clears throat> I really enjoyed that. I loved hunting squirrels. And then one day, I shot a squirrel. And it's kind of a disturbing thing when the squirrel gets hit. And then it doesn't just climb down and lay down. Right? It falls from the tree. So, 
boom, and you hear it hit the ground. It's like, ah, this is awkward. Okay, it's really bad when this happens to you. It happened to me. I, I shot a squirrel. I'm like, okay, I got to go, go make sure I get it. Got to sell it. So I roll up, and the squirrel is still alive because I shot it in the spine. So it's squirmishing, and you know what I did? I ran out of bullets. So you know what I had to do? Because the squirrel's still alive. I kind of panicked a little bit, and I was like, oh, no. So I grabbed a, a large stick. I did my best to be as merciful as I could. I should have. I should have. But, so a squirrel, that was kind of grievous. Like, I still remember that, right? Okay. But an ant, do you know how many ants I've killed? I don't even know. Like, I don't, I don't really bat an eye. Or a spider, bro, I'm trying to kill spiders, right? They're nasty. I'm not moved by those, and neither are you, hopefully, that an insect that, you know, is in your house, because, you, you know, insects, ants get in your house, bro, okay, and they're awful, but when you squish an ant, you're like, well, yeah, and go wash off, okay, we are as an ant unto the Lord, do you know how small we are, like, we're so small and insignificant in terms of mass, in terms of power, and yet God humbles himself to be moved by us. I can't. But what we see here is as we continue our journey. Okay, so we start in Genesis. God is moved by the sin of man and it grieved him at his heart. And then throughout history and scripture, what we see is there's several examples with some references I, I put on there for you. <clears throat> we see that the sin of man has grieved God. It grieves God throughout scripture. And the sin of man grieves men and women of God. You'll see that in Scripture. Men like Samuel, men like David, grieved by the disobedience, by the wickedness, by the idolatry of men. And eventually, when sin has its full process, when it has its full maturity... Even lost people will grieve because of sin. Even the lost, the wandering saved and the lost, will grieve at sin. James chapter 1, verse, one, four, uh, chapter one, verse 14 and 15, it lays out this process of sin. It says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. Nobody is celebrating when they experience death. When it's death of them, even the death of yourself, like when you die to yourself, you're not celebrating. That's, that's a serious, sober thing. Right? But especially the death of someone you love. Death is not happy. Right? Even the lost will be grieved by sin. So, <clears throat> as we keep going here, 
the sin of man grieves God, but God did something about it, right? God did something very special about this sin of man that grieved him. He met the sin of man with the Son of God. Okay, so some of you may be grieving. And you're grieving because there's someone who's wandered off. You're grieving because this, this hard thing has happened to you. There's grief. And really, if you boil it down, the root issue is sin. This errant human nature, this fallen nature that we have. That's the root of it, right? Okay, well, God met grief, the sin of man. He met it with the Son of God. He, he produced, He provides a solution. There is a solution for your grief this morning. That struggle, that frustration, that heaviness, the sorrow that you might have. I know that for me, this has been the last few weeks, there's just been thing after thing after thing after thing that's, that's falling, that's wandering, that's burdening. It just piles up, man. And there's a solution for it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Let's look at it real quick. As Christ also hath loved us, and hath given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice. Okay, so Jesus Christ is a sacrifice. He's an offering, right? You got that. But what does that look like now? What has that produced? To God for a sweet-smelling savor. In other words, Christ's sacrifice for us smells good to God. So that's some imagery for us. God the Father is, is on the throne, right? Where is Jesus Christ? At the right hand. Where is the Holy Spirit? He's in you as a believer, if you're a believer. Okay, so when God looks at you, God the Father looks at you, He smells the sweet-smelling savor of His Son's sacrifice. Meaning, He doesn't smell, God the Father doesn't smell your bad attitude. He doesn't smell your stench, right? He doesn't smell your good works that are as filthy rags, right? That's not what he smells. He smells the sacrifice of his son. That's good news. How about this? Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 10. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, if, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, before you got saved, you were labeled by God an enemy of God. That's a scary, scary label. It's not that you just aren't saved yet. You're an enemy. Your disobedience is grievous to him. Your disobedience and even your good works before salvation smell bad to him. But his son, his, his son laying his life down for us. That reconciles us to God the Father. And now all of a sudden there's payment for our sin. Now we can be close to Him. Does that make sense so far? With me? So the Father in Heaven is at peace with us through His Son's sacrifice. And Christ's sacrifice causes even us now to be a sweet savor unto God. Now we smell good to God. You see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. We've been reconciled to the Father through His Son giving his life for our sins. So here's the key question then. 
So then how can God on the throne be grieved if our sin is paid for already? If we're a sweet-smelling savor, how can he be grieved? Is Christ's sacrifice not sufficient to please and make God happy? Which I'm also asking, if my sin is paid for, can't I just do whatever I want? That makes sense. It's kind of a heady concept, but the Bible says what you do matters. The Bible says to not grieve God. So how does that work? Well, Christ's sacrifice surely was sufficient, but it's the Holy Spirit of God that has sealed us that's grieved by our sin. It's not God the Father on the throne. It's God the Spirit inside of us. He's grieved, right? It's God in us, the one that walks with us daily, the one who hears and listens to your thoughts, the one who knows when you disobey, the one who's right there when you're turning your back on God. He's still there and He's not gone anywhere. And He's listening to the criticism. He's listening to your defiance, my defiance. He's listening to the idolatry. He's hearing it and seeing it and He is feeling it. He's grieved by it. Because we're saved... And as we walk with God, our lives are made to be honoring and to be pleasing, to be service to Him. And when they're not, that's grievous. We're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God because we can do that. And you might be saying, why are you talking about this so much? Because you will find that there are many differences on how this is taught. Maybe even, maybe even here at this church. Some will say it doesn't matter. What you do doesn't matter. The Bible says it does. Does that make sense? That also impacts our lives because now we know we're accountable to God. I'm accountable to the Spirit of God that lives inside me, and so I don't just get to get away with whatever I want. I actually, my life is supposed to be subjected to His Word. So here's our key point. When our lives aren't individually and collectively surrendered to Christ's will, this grieves the Spirit. When you don't make the personal decision that I'm going to just surrender to God, but when you also don't make the collective decision that I'm going to submit myself one to another, like the Bible says, I'm going to speak the truth when I have to. I'm going to be vulnerable and hear someone when they correct me or rebuke me. When you don't make that decision, that is grievous, not only to us, but to God, right? When there's disunity, there's grief. Does that make sense? That's a lesson I think some of you are learning right now. It's something I've been learning for like 15 years, that when someone, when someone doesn't want to be unified with, with us, when they want to wander, when they want to walk away from the Lord, when they want to walk away from us, that's grievous. That hurts. We take it personal. We get heavy. But listen, that grieves God. And God is in that grief with you, right? He's with you in that. You're not grieving on your own. And you shouldn't and can't grieve on your own. Right? We need one another. We need the Lord to just comfort us. 
Okay, but what can we do about it? Well, <clears throat> we can be surrendered to the Lord. We can walk in the Spirit. We cannot grieve the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So the question naturally in my mind was, well, wouldn't that mean that God is always grieved and disappointed? If our behavior can grieve God, well, my behavior is pretty much nonstop disobedient, right? Every time I turn around, I'm disobeying God. I mean, if you think that you're living life perfectly, I mean, you're kind of fooling yourself, right? Like we sin every day, probably thousands, if not millions of times every day, right? We recognize that? Well, does that mean that God is constantly grieved by us? Wouldn't that mean that he's just always disappointed? And wouldn't that grief build up and he'd be like, I'm, I'm so fed up with you. I'm done with you guys. Wouldn't you think that would be the natural inclination or decision, that, conclusion that he would come to? I was thinking, man, yikes, how do you answer that? And I think we answer that with Psalm 86, verse 15 that says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Meaning, I spit in God's face. And you know what he does? He lets me know, and he wipes it off. And I do it again. And he lets me know, and he wipes it off. And he's not going to destroy me. And the people who've wandered off, or are wandering off, you know what they're doing? They're spitting in God's face. And you know what he's doing? He's wiping it off, and he's letting them know. And they might be ignoring him. They might be quenching the Spirit. But if the Spirit of God is in a person who has wandered, if they are in fact saved... God has their number. And we're grieving. But so is God. And God is after them. And He's full of compassion. And He's gracious. And He's long-suffering. And He's plenteous in mercy and truth. There is a way out for them. Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He's slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, not just those of us who might think we're on the right path. He's good to all. And His tender mercies are over all His works. Man. I don't know. God's good. Even and especially when we're not. Right? And still, our sin can grieve the Holy Spirit of God, and we shouldn't do that. Because sin is like a, ready, snake. Okay, sin is like a snake. I think I have a video. Can you play this video real quick? We got audio here. I should have let you know we got a video, Manny. What happens if you click on it? It's loading. Okay, I'll keep going, and, and we'll watch this here in a second. But sin is like a snake, okay? Are you familiar with uh, snakes? Does anybody own a snake? Because I'm definitely going to call you out. Did you really? But you repented. Yes. Praise the Lord. So sin is like a snake. You've got some people who are scared to, to death of snakes, right? Some people are scared to be around snakes. They won't go where there are snakes, Right? We got it? Okay, yeah, play, play this video. So this is me yesterday at the Longview Spillway, fishing, but actually intentionally looking for this. That's okay, there's not much audio to it. 
Get, there's no audio, so just, we're getting audio. Okay. Look at that little guy. Aww. That sin is so cute. Look at his little head. I love sin. Aww. You creep. Okay, so... <laughs> Sin is like a snake because some people are scared to death of them, right? And so, like, I remember there was a farm. It was a family farm that my, my family would visit. And there's this pond with a dock. And I remember we would, my grandpa would take us there to go fishing. His other grandpa. And I remember one time we were out there shooting. We were just shooting, not fishing. And we were around the pond. And this nasty-looking snake, he was decent size. He came out of nowhere. And we all had shotguns. And the natural response, but some people are so afraid uh, of snakes that they'll avoid a situation like that. Okay, so the Longview Spillway, uh, where I was at here, there's lots of these snakes. Okay, but there's also lots of fish. And so some people, like my mom, probably wouldn't go here to fish because there's snakes. That's fairly natural, but if you think about it, Think about the application. I'm building an illustration here. Okay, so sin is like snakes, but some people are so afraid of sin, so afraid of snakes, so afraid of sin that they won't go where sin is at. Oh, that group of people over there, oh, they do this or that. I'm not going to go approach them. I'm not going to involve myself with them. I'm just going to stay over here by myself with my, my the people who I know, you know, don't do that. You see what I'm getting at? Does that make sense? Okay, but then there's some people that are in love with them. Snakes. And they want them in their home. And that's creepy. But this is also the person who wants to get dangerously close to the, to the sin. To the snake. So, that, that group of people over there, not, it's not that they just want to avoid them. Those lost people over there, they're wicked. It's not that they want to avoid them. It's that, hey, I want to be all things, all people, and they get right in it. And I got to be all things, all people. So I got to do this, and I got to take that, and I got to say this, and I got to look like this, and I have to wear this. I have to look like that. Well, if you're avoiding them, good luck winning souls. If you're a part of them, good luck winning souls. And then there's a third group that sees, that recognizes, okay, there might be snakes there, but there's fish there. So I recognize the danger. I recognize it. But there's fish there. I recognize the danger of sin. But there's souls there. So I've got to approach it. Does that make sense? What am I getting at? Well, this little snake was actually very cute. And I went to the Longview Spillway to try to capture a video of a snake because times before I've seen a lot of snakes there. And I've seen, um, the first time I went, actually, it was really cool. There's a spillway, is, so you've got Longview Lake, and then there's this dam, and then there's this area where the water spills out, overflows out, okay? So there's rushing water, there's shad, there's all kinds of different species of fish that, that live in this, like, area. It's pretty cool. The first time I roll up there with my mom, I go up on top of um, this spillway area, and I climb up on this big wall. And I'm looking down, and I see there's fish jumping. I come to realize they're shad. I'm not going to catch a shad. But I saw the snake slither up. Big old, long, nasty, vile, oh. And he bit the shad. 
and he caught it in his mouth. And then he swam off with this fish. And I was like, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. That was amazing. And he swam off over to the rocks, and he just started chomping on this thing. Okay, this little tiny baby cute snake that I saw as I was leaving, I was like, well, I didn't caught a little bluegill, but I didn't find a snake, so I can't use that in my sermon illustration. But I saw him, and I was like, oh, wow, that's cute. And I looked at him, and I got my, and I was searching for him, and he was hiding. He was hiding in this little tuft of grass. He didn't want to be seen, because I might, like, destroy him. So I'm searching through the grass. I don't know what kind it is, so I'm, like, using the stick, because I don't want to get bit, you know. And then I see him, and I'm like, oh, there he is. Okay, do you know what's going to happen to that little snake? I left him there. You know what's going to happen? He's going to grow. He's going to grow into a giant, disgusting of a snake. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to eat fish. You know what our tiny, little, cute pet sin that we just keep in our little pocket? Nobody needs to know about that. No, I've got a persona. I've got an image to uphold, okay? People can't know about this. I can't get vulnerable and honest with people. I've got this little baby cute sin. It's not a big deal. Keep it in the tuft of this grass. And you know what's going to happen to your sin and my sin if we keep it hidden in the tuft of our grass? It's going to grow into a fish-eating monster. It's going to destroy the fruit in your life. It's going to turn your life grievous. Does that make sense? That fish was not having a good time. Even though it was really fascinating to watch, like the actual function of a snake eating a fish, like that in itself is good. It's kind of cool. But in our illustration, we're going to let our sin destroy our ministry? Bro, are you kidding me? Yikes. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We also don't want to ruin what He might want to do through us. Why? Why not? Because God is so good. God is so good to us. And maybe in your grief, maybe you can just hear that. God is good. And it hurts right now. I could, I could name half a dozen things that have just had me down. But you know what? God is really, really good always, all the time. I don't want to grieve Him. I don't want to sin against Him. He's so good, right? That's why we have to follow the last two verses here. Ephesians 4, 31-32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get rid of that stuff. Let it go, man. And be ye kind one to another. This is the word that stood out to me. Tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. You know what? I'm not naturally. I'm not naturally tender-hearted. I'm not. Forgiving one another. Oof. See? But it's personal. It's personal when they walk away. There have been lots of students who have personally walked away from me in my ministry. Not just the youth group. People, the students have... Like, I have made individual investments into their life, and I love them dearly. We give them anything. Over the years, it is personal. Will I have forgiveness in my heart ready for them? 
even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Which brings us to two other verses. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 15 says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Will we be like God? Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. Put on that sacrificial, selfless love, which is the bond of perfectness. And that word tenderhearted that I mentioned stood out to me. It's translated one other way in the Bible. And you find it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-12. through 12. It says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Have pity on people. Have pity on the people who offend you. Have pity on the people who disappoint you. Have pity on them, man. Feel bad for them. Get over yourself. Be broken. Love as brethren. My brother, my big brother, seems to be doing really well right now. He's like in ministry, serving the Lord. As you may know, there have been seasons in his life in the past where he's really struggled hard. And every time that that happens, because he's my brother, this isn't because I'm so loving. I didn't do this. I didn't cause this to happen. But whenever he would tell me of struggles, of sin that he was getting victory over, that broke me. That hurt I couldn't help but there was one time he, he met with me and he laid something out and I started crying. I didn't, I didn't even know what, like why I was crying or what, like what, why is this happening, but I'm just like crying. Because he's my brother and he's struggling, he's hurting. We need to look at each other and feel that same way for each other. We're one body. It says, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I'll tell you, here's the invitation. With tenderness and humility, if we'll have tenderness, tenderheartedness and humility, this morning is our opportunity to repent. If there's bitterness, if there's strife, if there's unforgiveness, maybe there's active sin, maybe there's addictive sin, maybe there's something that you know is obviously and clearly wrong. Today's the day to repent from that. To turn away, to walk away, to acknowledge it for what it is, to kill the snake. That's hard. We don't like to. It's cute. Seems harmless. Bro, you need to have some perspective. Does that make sense? I'm going to end with some lyrics. What if I just started spitting a Lecrae song? <laughs> I'm not going to. So this is a song I really, really, really love. It says, Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? 
There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Through death unto life everlasting He passed and we follow Him there. Over sin no more hath dominion. For more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, He promised. Believe Him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying His perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus this morning. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's pray, okay? Father, thank You for Your Word. God, thank You for Your Spirit that lives in us. Thank You for the clarity and simplicity of Scripture that leads us how to think and how to live. God, thank you for your compassion, for your long-sufferingness towards us. God, give us your heart. Give us your heart. Let us be like, you know, Samuel and David and the men in the Bible, men and women who would grieve over the sin of others because it grieved you. But God, let us bring that grief to you. And Lord, let us repent of bitterness and just walk with you this morning. So as we go into the worship service, Lord, we want to, we want to hold up our heart to you. And we want to lift up our voice and cry out to you and just trust you. When it seems really hard or maybe even impossible to just trust you to hold our to hold our hearts we want to we want to lift them up and give them to you and we want you to just hold them just embrace us this morning we ask in jesus name amen okay we don't have time for romans uh chapter 6 verse 23 but that's the next verse i think it's a pretty easy one hey if you don't have those verses memorized do that but uh more importantly if there's something that you know you need to deal with Okay? Maybe there's some decision, there's some response that you need to, to have. As we transition, grab us, grab someone, grab me, grab an adult, grab a leader, whatever, or meet us in there. Okay, We're going to sit in the middle section together and uh, we'll continue in worship. I love you guys. You're dismissed.